I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see, and bow down their backs always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them become partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on, on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For you were cut off of the olive tree which is wild by nature, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I uh, just want to thank you for this opportunity to, get, uh, get to gather together in your name, God, that we get to worship you and just have this awesome, awesome time together with you, God. Um, I pray that you bless Jackie as he brings your word to us um, and uh, just touch every heart that's in here today. I pray that uh, you give us the, the power of your name, God, to go out into the, the world after we go through here, God. And I just pray that you bless all of us so that we may see you more fully. Uh, so continue with us as we go on today and throughout the rest of this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Some of you right now are saying, Dear Lord, I have reservations for lunch and he's going to do 24 verses. We got a couple of minutes. You can call and put that reservation back a little. 
Lord willing, that's where we're, we're going to get. We'll see. We're, as we're, we've looked at chapters 9, 10, and 11, we find ourselves in a section, if you're outlining the book with me, where we're talking about the problems of the righteousness of God. And part of the problems of the righteousness of God, or the problems that we have to reckon or deal with, is the election of Israel, the rejection of Israel, the reception of the Gentiles, and then the restoration of Israel. And that's in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And a lot of people get twisted up around the axle when we start talking about who's Israel, is the church Israel today, is God forsaken His people or not? How's this all work out? How's this all fit? So, so we've been taking our time going through chapter 9, dealing with election, and, and chapter 10, the rejection of, of the nation of Israel and, and the receiving of the Gentiles. And it kind of is all being culminated here in chapter 11. And, and as we look at chapter 11, remember last time we talked about the first six verses, so we won't go back over that, but he talks about the remnant. And the important understanding about the remnant is that God always has one. So even though the nation of Israel is in a position today where she has rejected her Messiah and she has been rejected uh, of her Messiah, God still has a remnant in Israel. He never is without a remnant of believing people, Jews, believers who have put their faith and trust in their Messiah. And so we see that in the first six verses. Now as we come through the next well, really the rest of the chapter. Let me just give you a quick outline on it. He's going to talk about the rejection of Israel was prophesied. It shouldn't have been a surprise. He's going to talk about the result of their fall. That though Israel has fallen, that has meant salvation for the Gentiles. And then they're going to talk about the response. What is the response of Israel in light of these circumstances? And then what's the reaction? What should the reaction be of the Gentiles? When they consider this. That was the concept he talked about with the olive tree. And then uh, finally, we won't get to this week, the revelation of a mystery and the realization of God's plan as we see all of Israel is going to be saved. And as we look at that, that's what he's laying out. His salvific plan, if you will, for the nation of Israel. In the first eight chapters, he laid out the, the doctrine of salvation, how people are saved. But then the natural question comes up, well, if that's all true, what about Israel? What's going on with them? And so 9, 10, and 11 is dealing with, now how's that going to work out? How's it all going to pan out for them? So let's take a look at Romans chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 7. He says, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Israel has not obtained what she seeks. You remember in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, uh, it, this is what the scripture said. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. See, see, Israel's desire was to achieve righteousness based on what they did. It was a concept of works righteousness. They, they were mystified by the concept of the righteousness of God imputed into the life of a person by faith. Now, why were they mystified by that? Well, I don't know. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but they're, they are blocked and, and, and blinded. But they're, they're being blocked and they're being blinded is, is ultimately because of the road that they've taken. You know, you ever come to a crossroad and it says, hey, if you go to the right, the bridge is out. But if you go to the left, you know, you can get through. And that's kind of where they got to the crossroads and they, they took the one with the bridge out. 
They said, oh, we're going to be righteousness by what we do and how we're born and who we are. But way back in Genesis, which is pretty early Old Testament, right? We don't get earlier than Genesis, do we? As far as I know, you get before Genesis and there's no creation. So, so God said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, He said, Abraham believed, trusted, put his faith in God, and it was imputed to him righteousness. So Abraham was made righteous by faith. That's what Habakkuk declared. And so the idea was all the way through the Old Testament that that righteousness comes by faith, believing and trusting in God. What did the law teach them? The law taught them that, that I can't measure up. I fail, I stumble, I fall, I don't do the things that I ought to do. This is causing me a, 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 a lot of grief. And so God gave unto them a sacrificial system, right? We're all familiar, right, with the sacrifice of the lamb, multiple sacrifices that they would come and give. What did that teach them? That there is no remission of sin except by the shedding of blood. Every sacrifice pointed to Messiah. Isaiah 53 and 54 declared to them that Messiah was going to come and die. Daniel chapter 9 declared to them that Messiah was going to be karat, cut off, but not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. So we had the picture, but the faith wasn't in the word. Their trust was in their works. And so as a result, they haven't obtained. Because you can't be righteous. Any other way than by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only, the only path. It says the elect have obtained it. Who's he talking about? The Bible talks about multiple groups when it uses the word elect. The word elect just means the chosen. But sometimes it uses the word elect about the nation of Israel, right? Because the nation of Israel we talked about in Romans chapter 9 is the elect of God. Also, the church is the elect of God. In this case, he's talking about the church. The the church, the Gentiles, they have received it because they received it by faith. But the but the Jews, the nation of Israel, have, have stopped short. And then he goes on in verse 8, Just as it is written, God has given them a, a spirit of stupor, eyes that they would not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. And David said... Let their table become a a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. So we see as we look that the rejection was prophesied. It was spoken of in the Old Testament that this is the road you're on. You guys get what I'm saying? The nation of Israel is, is, had this, this rocky history, right? Doing good, not so good, doing good, not so good. And every prophet would come and say, guys, 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 get on the road. The road you're on, the bridge is out. The road you're on leads to the rejection of the Messiah. Change the road, change the road, change the road. They wouldn't listen. Do you ever try to share the gospel with somebody that's like that? So the, the Bible tells us, gives us a little bit of a, of a hint as to why. In Romans 10 verse 3, it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Ignorant of the righteousness of God and trying to get it themselves. I can do it myself. I'll be good enough. God will let me in because I'm a good person. Because my good outweighs my bad. You can still 
talk to people everywhere who have that concept and will call themselves Christians. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us in Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saved us by making us born again. Not by works of righteousness that I did. Not because there was some special deal. But simply because I received the free gift offered. For God so loved the world that He gave. And receiving that gift is everything. Now, we have to remember, as we're looking at this and the rejection that's foretold, we also have to realize that some were blessed. Because in the first six verses we heard, there's always a remnant, right? There's always a group that believes. I want you to think about it. Who were the fellows that followed Jesus? We, we call them disciples, right? Well, what nation were they from? There were no Gentiles in that crew. Eleven Jews. Turned the world upside down. And the first 3,000 people that got saved, most of them were probably Jews, right? And then the next 5,000, that was all in Jerusalem. Those were probably mostly Jews. And as we work our way through, it's, it's several chapters in the Acts before we start to begin to deal with the concept of whether or not a Gentile can actually be part of the church. Up until that time, it was considered a sect of Judaism. So we know that some were blessed, that some believed, that some trusted in Messiah, right? Some we see believe, but ultimately the nation as a whole has been blinded by the Lord. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 6.10, God is speaking to Isaiah. Remember the the scripture where where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He's actually standing in the throne room of God. And God says to Isaiah in verse 10, make the heart of this people dull. And their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. So God is saying to the prophet Isaiah, hey, go ahead and keep talking to them and keep telling them, but they're not going to hear you and they're not going to see. Now, when we look at that, we we, want to pull away a couple of things. One, God is sovereign and he can blind who he wants to blind and he can allow to see who he wants to allow to see. He's God. He gets to do what he wants. So I'm okay with him doing what he wants. But God is not arbitrary. God is not, uh, does not have a, a wicked heart where he would just randomly choose someone and say, well, you're, you're going to hell and you're going to hell, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help these guys over here. And we know that because that's what scripture teaches. Let's take a look. The scripture tells us about Israel's rejection. In fact, the, the word of God laid out for us there in verses, uh, uh, eight, through 10, just as it is written. You see that phrase? Just as it is written. Hey, it's, this is in the Word of God. God has given them a spirit of stupor. We just read about that. Eyes that they should not see, ears that they would not hear to this very day. So where does that come from? We read part of it. Uh, uh, that's all over in the Scriptures. But let's look at Isaiah 29. In Isaiah 29, uh, from verses 10 to 19, God not only tells us that this is the case, that they're, they're, they have been blinded, but he tells us why. Now, I don't think he has to, but remember, God loves us. The heart of God is not to see the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and live, that they would turn. 
Unfortunately, I think a lot of times our heart, when we look at our world, is that it would all get destroyed. Man, Lord, come back and get them. I, sometimes I feel like that too. But you know, that's not God's heart. God's heart was never to destroy the wicked. He would be long-suffering, withholding judgment as long as possible that some would turn and live. So when things happen like that are happening in, in Houston or, or shooting at a school or, or our world is sideways and, and doing all these wicked things, my heart is that they would be introduced to the love of Jesus Christ because even in the midst of all that, that's where Jesus would go. Don't you see? He would go there. He would not justify their sin any more than He justifies mine. He doesn't justify my sin. But if I come to Him by faith, receiving the gift He has, He will make the dirtiest, rottenest sinner clean. We have one commission. Our one commission is not necessarily to run around with picket signs and scream and holler at people on the other side of the street about why do you have views like that. What's our one commission? Go to all the world and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. You know, I, I don't know, uh, I don't talk too much about news stuff very often, but uh, I don't get what the big deal is in Houston. I told you yes, last week, they called me and want my notes. Knock yourself out, brother. Here, here's some CDs. Make sure you listen to them. Whatever. We can't change a heart of man by screaming and yelling and waving signs and standing together and saying, you can't do that to us. How do we change a heart of man? You introduce them to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ changes the heart of man. And then things change. If the church, if we the church would spend more time discipling and raising up and evangelizing and telling people about Jesus, we'd have a lot less of this to deal with. We stop fighting about, about our rights and what we should or shouldn't have to do. And we just be who Jesus is asking us to be. No compromise. I'm not preaching compromise. I'm just saying our, our role is the gospel. And so, I don't know, I don't want to get roped into a bunch of lame fights that nobody's ever going to solve. But I'm more than happy to tell somebody who's lost about Jesus Christ and how they need Him. And if they have Him, everything in their life can change. Listen to what Isaiah 29 says, verse 10. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. He has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. So we understand what eyes are closed. So what is he saying? I want you to realize when the Lord says, I have put, a, put you to sleep and I have blinded your eyes. Who did he blind? The prophets. That means he stopped sending the word. He stopped sending prophets to share the word. Well, the last prophet was John the Baptist and before him it was 400 years of silence. God says, I don't blind you. You're not listening. You're not listening. I'm going to talk less. He said, uh, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Why? The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that are sealed. Listen to this. Which men deliver to one who is literate and say, read this please. And he says, I cannot for it is sealed. I don't understand it. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate. Saying, read this please. And he says... I can't. I'm not literate. So there's no understanding of the book, whether literate or or illiterate. 
What book is he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. They don't understand it. The prophets are quiet. The seers are silent. And then he says, Therefore the Lord has said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Ultimately, God says, why? They are hypocrites. They say they love me. They say all these nice things with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They don't love me. They love all this other stuff, but they don't love me. And so God says, I will blind their eyes. It's not that they didn't hear. It's not that the word didn't go forth. It's not that the prophets didn't speak. It's not that all those things didn't happen. It's that they rejected that word. They walked walk of hypocrisy. He says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among the people, a marvelous work and wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the understanding of their prudent men will be hidden. So woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? Who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Well, shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Or shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Is it not yet a a very little while till Lebanon will be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind will see out of obscurity and out of darkness. In that day, what day is he talking about? In the day, in the day of Messiah, in the day of your redemption, in the day of the opportunity to be saved. And what's the one thing that is marked by the ministry of Jesus Christ? That the deaf what? Hear. That the lame do what? Walk. That the blind do what? See. All the things God said... To, to be, but their hearts were hardened because of unbelief and hypocrisy. And the hardening of their heart leads to the blinding of their eyes and the deafening of their ears so they can't hear the book. The blind hear it, or I mean, the blind see it, the deaf hear it, the lame get it, but nobody else, nobody else's, their eyes are not open. But I want you to listen to the rest. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So who is it that's going to receive? Who is it that's going to hear? The meek, the poor, the broken. Jesus said, I've come to the sick. The ones who need a physician. Not to the ones who don't. It wasn't that they didn't need one. They just didn't recognize their need. I don't need nothing. I'm a good person. The next quote that we see there in Romans 11 says, David says, comes out of Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, 20 through 28, this is what it says. Reproach has broken my heart. As you're reading this, I just want you to know who's talking. The Christ. The Christ is just a Greek term for Messiah. Messiah is speaking in Psalm 69. David wrote it, but Messiah is speaking. Listen to the words. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. Or for comforters, and I found none. 
What's he talking about? He's talking about crucifixion. When they arrested him, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. They scattered. I looked for someone, but there was nobody. All alone, they gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. What did they give Jesus on the cross? Gall and vinegar. Vinegar, wine, and gall to dull the pain. First he refused. At the end, right before he commits his spirit to the Lord, he said, I thirst. And he received what they offered him. He says, then let their table become a snare to them. And their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be dark so they do not see. And make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation, your wrath upon them. And let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in their tents. Jesus, as he was walking into Jerusalem, he said, If you, only you knew the things that make for your peace today. But they are what? Hidden from your eyes. Why were they hidden? Hypocrisy. Hardness of heart. And rejection of Messiah. Same things that hardens the heart of people today. It's not something special that hardened the heart of of Israel. Your heart can be hardened in exactly the same way. In 70 AD, as a result of the rejection of Messiah, the nation of Israel was destroyed, the temple torn down, and there was no nation Until 1948. Pour out your indignation. Your wrath upon them. Let your wrathful anger take them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. For they persecute the ones you have struck. Isaiah 53 and 54. We esteemed him smitten by God. But it pleased you to bruise him. Why? Because through Him He was working a perfect work of salvation in the lives of everyone who would believe. So add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. The reason again for their rejection, hardness of heart, hypocrisy and the rejection of the Messiah. But what's the result then? What's the result? Look in Romans 11.11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Is that it for them? That's it? Are they done? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? He's going to build on this idea multiple times. That if in their rejection, in the fact that God rejected His people... And turn his back on them. That worked out for salvation for the world. Salvation for the Gentiles. Then what's going to happen when they're saved? He's saying if their rejection did this incredible work. What kind of celebration is it going to be when they're restored? When, when Israel is, is brought back. See they're not banished forever. Hosea. In Hosea chapter 1, we've talked about this a couple of times. Remember the names of the two kids, uh, Lo Ruchama and Lo Ami. One meaning no mercy, one meaning no people. Let's look at it. Uh, Hosea 1, 6 through 10. And she, may I back up. You guys all know about Hosea. Hosea, that's the fellow that God said to marry the, the prostitute. And she wouldn't be faithful to him. And God would tell her, 
tell him, go get her, win her back, make her a part of your life, because you're going to be a living illustration of my relationship with Israel. And so scripture says in Hosea 1.6, she conceived again and bore a daughter, and God said to him, Hosea, call her name Lo Ruchama, which means no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. I will utterly take them away. And I will, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen, by move of Congress or the United Nations or any other way. When God saves, He saves Himself. He don't need nobody else to do it. And when she had weaned Lo Ruchama, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name Lo-Ami, which means no people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So we see, as we look at Hosea, the rejection is foretold, right? There's going to be a rejection of the nation of Israel. But look at the very next sentence. Yet the number of the children of Israel will be as the sand of the sea. Does that make sense? Only if the rejection of the nation of Israel is not eternal. How could they have a number like the sands of the sea if God's done with them way back then? God's not done with the nation of Israel. And the other thing to ask yourself, how can they have as many as the number of the sands of the sea when God said, I chose you because you're not a big people. There's not very many of you. There's a lot more Gentiles. So what's he really saying in Hosea? He says, I'm going to go to those people who at one time had no mercy, and I'm going to give them mercy. I'm going to go to those people who were not my people, and they will become my people. And when the church is brought into the fold with the nation of Israel, the number will be more than the sands on the seashore. Because it's an inclusive number including the Gentiles and the Jews, bringing them all together. He says, and it will, it will come to pass, listen to the end of it, and it will come to pass, in the place where it was said to you, you are not my people, there it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Has God rejected Israel forever? Answer is obvious, no, he has not. And their rejection resulted in the salvation of the Gentiles. You and me, we all owe our salvation to, to what God has done. How God has worked in and through them. It brought salvation to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 42, 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and I will keep you and give you as a promise to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel was received these promises that she would be a light to the Gentiles. She would be a light to the Gentiles. Now, do a special little study and have some fun with it. Look at the word light and watch how many times it's capitalized and you'll begin to decipher who the light is referring to. Who's the light to the Gentiles? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus Christ is the light to the Gentiles. Who did he come from? The Jews. He was born of the tribe of Judah. Came through the nation of Israel to be a light 
unto the Gentiles. So he says, how is it that they're going to work this work of salvation? He said, he's going to provoke them to jealousy, right? In verse 11, through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In, in uh, Romans 10, 19, it says, but I say, did Israel not know? Moses is the one who said this. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. He says, I'm going to reach into the heart of the nation of Israel by using a bunch of knucklehead Christians. I'm going to use the church and just irritate the snot out of them. So it's not because of your wonderful, beautiful words, how nice you say things or do things. You're a giant irritation to Israel. But at that same giant irritation inside of the oyster makes a pearl right god says i'm gonna i'm gonna use you as an irritant (laughs) that actually works better for my theology just so you know because i have a a natural gift of irritation (laughs) see you heard kathy laugh the loudest didn't you (laughs) she's like oh preach it brother You're not supposed to laugh that hard, babe. Okay, so, so what's the message we pull out of, this, out of this first section? The failure of Israel does not mean that God is finished with them. The fall of Israel is a great blessing. That's how we all got to be part of the family of God. And the future of the world will even have a greater blessing with the salvation of Israel. That's what he's laying out for us as we look all the way through to, to verse 12. But then as we look at verse uh, 13, it says... For I speak to you Gentiles. Now, this is what that tells me. Up until this point, he's been speaking to Jews. Now he says, I speak to you Gentiles. He, he's, he's saying, hey, listen guys, listen fellows, I need you to focus with me. I speak to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He's laying out his credentials. He was called according to the book of Acts and according to Galatians chapter 2 as the apostle to the Gentiles to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what he did. So then he lays out in verse 14 his desire. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. What's Paul's heart? That people, that his kinsmen would be saved. Anybody have a different view? I mean, if you guys have someone in your family who's lost, you don't want them saved? Sometimes that's the greatest burden in our hearts, isn't it? That, and, and sometimes the most difficult one to, to reach. But this was Paul's burden. This was his motivation. This is his desire, the salvation of the nation of Israel. It must have been so frustrating for him. Every time he tried to preach to Israel, he got arrested. But you know, the crazy thing is, he never got together a group of people and went out and picketed Rome. He just kept going out and preaching. They let him out, and he'd go preach the gospel. They let him out, he'd go preach the gospel. They let him out, he'd go talk to the law. What do they say about Jesus? Oh man, he's hanging out with sinners all the time. He, he didn't like hanging out with them righteous people. They made him nervous. Those... Self-righteous, hypocritical, blind Pharisees. We don't want to be that. 
We've got a role, a job, a position to fill, and we need to be busy about doing it. If we have a burden like Paul did for the people he, he wanted to see saved, then, then that compels us to move, to share, to speak, to tell people about our love of Christ. In, in verse 15, he, he tells us about the miracle of the, of the future reconciliation with Israel. Look, for if they're being cast away is the, is the reconciling, boy, Okay, let's try it again. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, (laughs) what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What do you call life from the dead? I call that a miracle. That's a miracle. The future acceptance of Israel will be a miracle like life from the dead. And God did that all the time. In fact, Abraham... In the hall of faith, it said that he believed God that his words would make the dead live. That just by God speaking it, it was like making it happen. So Paul's saying in verse 15, man, it's going to be a miracle when Israel comes back. It's going to be a miracle when they receive their Messiah. When, like Zechariah said, they look upon the one whom they had pierced and they mourn as one mourns for an only son. He said, that day, man, that day is going to be a Ecstatic day. An incredible day. An incredible time of joy and rejoicing all the way through it. And then in in verse 16 he says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy. Okay, so they had this thing uh, in the sacrifices called a wave offering, a grain offering. They would set apart the material, the first fruits, the, the, uh, what's a good word for it? Like if you guys are making bread and you gather all the junk you use, what do you call that stuff? Thank you. That's the word. Ingredients. <coughs> it's like playing Pictionary without me drawing anything, huh? So the so the ingredients. You gather all the ingredients. You take them before the Lord and you wave them before the Lord and you're and you're you're separating the first fruits unto God. You're asking for God's blessing, giving God praise for the first fruits that had come. And when you do that. Everything that's made with it is holy. That's the example that he's making. In fact, he's going to do it again with a tree. If the roots are holy, what are the branches? If the first fruits are holy, what's the lump? Holy. And then he's going to define it. He wants us to understand the point that he's making is what is it that we're talking about when we talk about the first fruit? What is it that we're talking about when we talk about the roots, he gives us the illustration of two things. The illustration of the bread and the illustration of the olive tree. And here's what I see. The first fruits and the root are the promise to the patriarchs. What? Oh, I try to bring it full circle around. Romans eleven twenty-seven and 28. We're not going to get there today, but let's look ahead. It says, for this is my covenant or my promise with them. When I take away their sins. Now who's he talking to? When he's, he's reading Old Testament. So who are they talking to? Israel. He's talking to the Jews. This is my promise when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they were enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, the national election, the God chose the nation of Israel, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. That's not God the Father. That's the fathers. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I am not the God of the dead. I am the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. I made promises to those three guys, and I'm going to keep them. So when he talks about the first fruit, and he talks about the root of our faith, it all comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's all the covenant that he gave to them that he's fulfilling in us. The promises that he gave to them that he's fulfilling in us. What was the blessing that God promised to Abraham that he would use to bless the whole world? The seed. Well, who was the seed? Jesus. Jesus. He blessed the whole world through the promise, the covenant with the fathers. That's what I, I say when I look at the root and I look at the, at the, at the ideas that we're, that we're looking at here, the root and the, and the, and the first fruits. We're talking about those promises, those things that were declared, that he declared beforehand. Now, I think that, that the, the, the branches and the lump, <laughs> that's Israel. Oh, you're crazy. I, I know I am kind of crazy, but but the lump and the branches are Israel. The root and the first fruits are the promise that God gave to the Father. See, the promise of God's eternal. It don't ever change. It won't ever stop. But if God made a promise, then He's going to carry it all the way out to the branches. If God made a promise in the first fruit, it's going to affect that whole loaf of bread. All of it is going to be affected. Why is it that we, we can recognize Israel is, is the olive tree? I'm just going to real quick show you guys. Israel and the example of Israel being the olive tree comes from Jeremiah chapter 11. In Jeremiah chapter 11, 1 and 2, it sets the, the framework. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, the promise, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So, speak this word to, to Israel. And then in Jeremiah eleven sixteen and 17, The Lord called your name green olive tree. Is that clear enough? So, the tree, the branches. It's Israel. It's Israel. The roots, the promise. The tree grows out of the promise. That's Israel. That's Israel that he's got. That is growing there. So then in, in verse 17 through 20, he, he does this concept about our relationship now. What, what's the reaction of the Gentiles then? What's the reaction of the Gentiles? Look, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were, were grafted in among them, and with them became a, a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So, so he's saying some of those branches were broke off. Well, why were they broke off? Well, they broke off for unbelief. They were broke off because of hypocrisy. They were broke off because they were they're made blind and dumb and they, they didn't believe. God broke them off. And then he grafted in the wild. That's the, a, a wild branch. Biblical times, a wild olive tree branch bore no fruit. They would call it a wild branch. They would snap off the wild branches and chuck them because there was no point in having a wild branch on there because it doesn't bear any fruit. So he's saying, but, but if you take a wild branch and you graft it in where there had been a fruitful branch, well, it will bear fruit. It's this crazy kind of miracle. And so God's saying, this is what, this is the example. This is what we've done. The, the root to Israel, Israel, the tree, the branches going out, but they rejected me. I, I, I broke off not all of them, but some of them. There's always a remnant. 
And then I've grafted in the Gentiles. You guys have been grafted in. You've been, you've been added in. So there's two things that he wants us to remember that we do as Gentiles being grafted into the promise of God to the nation of Israel and, and being joint heirs to those promises and joint heirs with Christ, receiving salvation. Two things. Two things, he says. Don't be proud. What do we got to be proud about? We always got to guard ourselves because we'll start looking at Israel and the failures and the rejection of Israel and think, man, what a bunch of boneheads. I'm glad I'm not like them. Hopefully, if you haven't heard anything else we've said as we've been going through the book of Romans, it is that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is broken. All of them. Israel's broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We're broken. We may be broken different ways, but we're broke. And without Jesus Christ, we cannot be whole. So if the promise that Jesus made to the nation of Israel to make them whole has now blossomed over to us, we have no reason to be proud, right? To to think more haughty of ourselves. Look how he says it. He says in verse 18, Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root. The root supports you. The same God is his, is, is his point. The same God who took them off and grafted you in is still the root. His word is still the root. His promise is still the root. So we have, we have nothing to boast about. We can't boast because of our relationship with the root. Our salvation comes through the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That new covenant that we all cling to is out of the Old Testament. And it is the forgiveness of sins by the blood of the Messiah. The old covenant is the law. The new covenant is the blood. Not the grace. It's the blood that makes us clean. The blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we would reason we want to not have pride is because of the reason they were broke off. Why did they get broken off? He said, you, you, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. In your Bibles, it probably says, well said. Does it say that in your Bibles? But you'll notice something interesting about the word said. What do you notice about it? It's in italics. You guys remember the lesson about what italics means in the Bible? means the word is not there. It means it's added by the translators to try to help you understand what's going on. And most of the time, they do a great job, and we understand what's going on. But if you stop at the well said, you're, you're going to think, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, they were broken off, so I could be added in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. They were broken off because of unbelief. The rejection of the Jews brought salvation to the Gentiles, but that rejection came solely because of their unbelief. They did not believe. It was a lack of faith. We are grafted in because we have faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But if you do not, well, you get tore off that tree just like they did. Don't be proud. 
I've given you the illustration a number of times. Jesus is hanging over that cliff. you got to put both hands in His. If you're hanging on to something else, if you're hanging on to church attendance, if you're hanging on to some works of righteousness, if you're hanging on to some other concept other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, all signed, sealed, and delivered by Him, through Him, for me, then you have the same problem they did. They did not obtain it because they tried to seek it through works, through their own abilities. And so they didn't obtain. And so their branches were taken off. Don't be filled with pride. The same thing that happened to them is able to happen to us. Do not be haughty, proud, but fear. Fear God. The second thing, not only that we shouldn't have pride, but the second example in the last uh, four verses is that we wouldn't have presumption. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Do not presume. Presumption is a problem. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. What's he talking about? Is he saying we're gonna we we can lose our salvation? Everybody always wants to go to that. Let's let's make it even more simple. Instead of, of going to that place, let's just go to this place. Look, if you are doing what Israel did, drawing near to the Lord with your lips, but your heart is not on him, your heart is far from him. Okay, you're not gonna be in the tree. And you may presume to enjoy the goodness of God. But all you have in your future is the severity of God. You only come in one way, through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. No other way. No other hope. No other trust. No other faith. Him. Through Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that? Don't presume for the goodness. God's desire. God's not sitting in heaven looking for somebody to judge. I've already told you. God said, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. I don't want to destroy anybody. That's what God's saying. I want the wicked to turn. I want him to change. I want him to come to me with his whole heart. I want to give him freely the gift of salvation. I want to give him the power to be the man or the woman that he needs to be. I want, I want to give and be for him everything that he needs. But God won't make you do it. And you can fake it. But you won't make it. It's got to be real. It ain't real. That's presumption. Presuming on the grace of God. You can also presume like this. I got more time. What the Bible say? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Because every time we say, I got more time. I get that, I'll, I'll deal with that later when I get old like Jackie. I'm, I'm young and I got things I want to do. I want to live my life, man. I want to... I want to grab the world by the throat and choke it till it gives me everything I want. Be careful. 
Don't presume you have more time. Whatever you're choking out of the world is trash compared to what God has for you. Oh, man, there he goes. I can't believe he's talking like that. You know, it's almost time for lunch. I hope he's almost done. He is. Almost. Yeah, what God has for you. Here's the only way I can tell you that you're going to know. One day, you're going to stand there. And you're going to see Him. But it'll be too late that day to believe the promise He told you. It'll be too late to say, I believe you, God. Now that I see it, man, this place is cool up here. Man, there there are a lot of good things up here that, that... Wow, this is going to be... Sorry, man, that's too late. You come by faith or you don't come. He said, no presumption. No presumption. Listen to this last part. And they also, the nation of Israel, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Does it sound like God's done with Israel? He ain't done. If they don't, if they believe, they're coming in. If they don't remain in unbelief, they will come in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these? Listen to what he's saying. God's salvation of you and I is a miracle. That miracle of justification is unreal. But God is saying here, that miracle was hard. This one, easy. Making the wild go into the cultivated tree, that's an agricultural impossibility. So God says, man, that's rough work. How much easier is it going to be for me to bring Israel back? If I saved you, don't you think I can save them? That's the message that he wants us to realize. If I did all this for you, don't you you think that I'm going to be able to do that for them? I'm going to be able to do that for somebody else that you want to, to hear and know the truth? But the only way they're going to know it is if you tell them. Osmosis doesn't work. You can rub right next to a sinner all day long and it's not going to come across you and into them. God chose to deliver the message through the foolishness of preaching. You got to tell them. Then God does something magical. And I have nothing to do with you. God just does it. You plant the seed and he starts watering And the next thing you know, he's bringing forth a harvest. God is able to restore Israel. Jeremiah 23, 3-8. Last thing I'm going to read and then we'll pray. He said, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back into their folds and they will be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they will fear no more. Nor be dismayed, nor shall they lack, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, 
when I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. And this is his name, Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. God has done it for us, and he will do it for them. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word and what your word declares, God. And I pray, Father, as we work our way through this section, we just recognize, Lord, you you lay these scriptures out to us so that you would know, so that we would know that your promise is absolutely true. The promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're going to keep. So the promise you make to me, you're going to keep. You said, Lord, that I'll never be disappointed. And I won't be ashamed when I see you. I won't say that life I lived down on earth was a waste of time, God. I can't believe it. What a ripoff. Your word declares, I won't be disappointed. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things God has planned for those who love Him. Man, God, help us believe Your promise. That's why this is so important. The promise of justification, the promise of sanctification, the promise of glorification, the promise of the work that You're doing in our life, the promise that if You begin, You won't quit until You finish that work. All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. Gosh, you, you are going to fulfill every one of them, Lord. And, and because you are going to feel, fulfill every one of them, you have not rejected Israel. That rejection is not forever. They have rejected Messiah. But the Bible tells us their eyes will be open one day. Until that time, every year we'll get to hear. Every tongue will have the opportunity to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Until that time, we, your church, serve as your hands and feet, as the opportunity to present the light of the nation of Israel back to them. To present the light of the nation of Israel to the world that needs you. To recognize it's not going to be about my ability to stand and make a louder noise than somebody else on the other side of the street that's going to change anybody. It will be about my willingness to share the gospel that will change the heart of men. My willingness to say, He is my King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm going to follow Him. And if that means the things in my life that I think should be okay, aren't okay, I let them go. For Him, His treasure is greater than my earthly desire. So when you meet the real King of kings, when you recognize the treasure of Jesus Christ... 
There's no sin, lifestyle, or any other baloney that you'll hold on to. You're just going to want Him. And if you are clinging to a lifestyle of sin, if you're clinging to something that is in opposition to God's Word, you haven't seen Him yet. Because if you see Him, man, you're going to want Him. You're going to want Him because His promises are so incredible. And every one of them is absolutely true. So God, we pray that you would deliver, that you would help us keep our eyes on you. You help us to realize we are never alone. We are never without you. We are never in a place where we are not able to respond in the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would establish your church today to change our world because we're willing to do the job you've asked us to do. Share the good news. And that you would be glorified in all we say or do. In Jesus' name. Amen.